Please proceed. Thank you. Uh, may it please the court. My name is Dan Siegel. I represent Sarkis Khoury, the plaintiff and appellant in this matter. Viewed in the light most favorable to Dr. Khoury, beginning on February the 20th, 2009, when he spoke at a faculty meeting to indicate his strong belief that the faculty at the Anderson School should hire its first Latino, Latina faculty member in its history, there began an unbroken chain of hostility against him, which led to the filing of accusations against him by Dean Moses and Chair Smith. Those accusations were based in large part, as it subsequently came out, on an absolutely false statement, an absolutely false rendition of the comments that Dr. Khoury made. Uh, we know that to be the case because those comments were taped, and ultimately even Dean Moses was required to acknowledge that the accusations were false. Given that the jury rejected, and assume the jury verdict was valid, rejected the retaliatory investigation claim. And I take it there's no contest that Dr. Khoury did the things that were found that he did. And you're not contesting that on appeal. In other words, that he, while on sabbatical, he, he worked and was paid and et cetera. So don't you have to demonstrate then that, that, that the actual punishment was in retaliation for something? Yes, of course. Yeah, so, in other words, we, we, we know that he wasn't investigated in a retaliatory manner because the jury found, so found. So now we get to the issue of whether or not he was fired in a retaliatory manner. We start out with the notion that what he did was a firing offense. You're not contesting that. What he is alleged to have done was Well, what they found that he did. But the Privilege and Tenure Committee and the Chancellor concluded Right. After a hearing in which, in which your claim on appeal is not that there was insufficient evidence for them to find that. Your claim in federal court, I'm sorry. But rather that, that his firing was in retaliation for his First Amendment speech. For his protected speech right. under Title so, VII. Yes. So what's, don't you have to demonstrate that other people who engaged, who, who engaged in the kind of conduct that he engaged in didn't get fired? Judge Hurwitz, I would want to distinguish in response to your question between a discrimination claim and a retaliation claim. Right. In a discrimination claim, which we do not have here and are not arguing about, it, it's often thought necessary to uh, show that a similarly situated person was not treated the same way. But in a retaliation claim, that is not part right, of the but, but the difficulty is your client, I assume for purposes of this record, committed firing offenses. You're not claiming that these offenses are not the kind of offenses for which people are not normally fired. I would parse the two ways in which the court has, uh, has constructed its question. Um, I, we're not arguing on appeal that someone appropriately couldn't be fired for doing these things. For these kinds of things okay. might be so, fired. So, so my problem is, is your unbroken chain argument. Does he then get immunity at the end of the day for things for which anybody else would be fired simply because 
there's evidence at the at the outset that they they took off after him for and and that's question one in question two because i think what you address them together is given the jury finding against your client on retaliatory investigation how do we all the judge found that there was a question of fact on discrimination on the investigation once the we once the jury finds the investigation wasn't retaliatory how do we how does that how do how do we then have an unbroken chain of facts that's okay, so, i think though we cannot justify the court's decision on summary judgment by virtue of the results of a trial which was shaped by that erroneous decision Right. Oh, but there was, no, there was a trial limited to retaliatory investigation and the counterclaim. Put that aside. Right. And, and, and the jury found, as a matter of fact, that there wasn't a retaliatory investigation. Exactly. So uh, how then do we then have an unbroken chain of... I understand that maybe the judge couldn't have known that at the time that he granted summary judgment on your retaliatory firing claim. But now that you're stuck with that fact in this case, if you're stuck with that finding of fact... How do you then have an unbroken chain? My argument there, which I strongly believe is the correct argument, is that the jury should never have been faced with the scenario with which it was faced. Um, and it's hard to second guess the rationale for that jury decision as rejecting the idea that there was retaliation against Dr. Corey. Counsel, I, I gather your, your position is that if the termination issue, if you've been able to present the termination issue to the jury, you would have tried a very different case. So, at least from your perspective, you do, you do not attach any particular significance to the jury finding based on a record that, from your point of view, was incomplete. Precisely, Your Honor. Uh, in fact, uh, as the case proceeded, uh, it seemed to me that the jury could not rule other than it did because wouldn't it be natural for a university uh, when faced with accusations of misconduct to investigate those accusations, right? And that's all the jury was asked to decide. But was there anything wrong with the university proceeding with the investigation given the allegations, but who, not the facts who, of the who engaged, bias? Who engaged in the retaliatory firing, if you will? Come, separate investigation from firing. Who, in, who is guilty of, the, of, of that tort? Well, you know, ultimately, Your Honor, under the uh, precedent decisions in, in Moses, in, excuse me, in Poland, Gilbrook, and Lakeside Scott, the party that engaged in the retaliatory termination was the University of California, right? But, um, the but, yeah, I'm trying to deal with the, with the dramatis personae in this case, if you will. It goes to the P&T committee. You're, you're not making any claim that that committee acted in a retaliatory way, are you? No, but the claim is that the committee's activities, the hearing that it held, was entirely based upon the actions of the two uh, biased complainants. Right, that's, and so I'm trying to move backwards in this chain and figure out what your claim is. Your claim is that we had two biased complainants that, that made a claim that turns out, at least for present purposes, to be true, which is that your client did some things that are a firing offense. A neutral tribunal heard that claim and made a determination that he should be fired. 
and so my question is if assuming those are the facts does that mean does does the retaliatory motive of the people who complained mean that he can't be disciplined for those for those activities you know again your honor i feel like we're starting at the wrong end of this conversation for purposes of both what occurred in this case but also the presidential decisions of this court the issue is whether the retaliatory animus possessed by moses smith and stewart should be deemed to be the cause of the ultimate conclusion oh no i'm asking i'm asking exactly that question they were the complainants so i mean if i could make an analogy to a to a civil a civil or criminal context the KKK makes a complaint that a black professor has been stealing because they hate him. Okay. The district attorney investigates it and determines the black professor has been stealing. He brings a charge. A neutral jury finds that the black professor has been stealing and then he's punished. And so the question is, in my mind, exactly the question you're posing. How far down the line do we impose the retaliatory motives of those who complained when it turns out, even though they're bad people, what they're complaining about is true? But I appreciate the hypothetical, Your Honor, because the hypothetical you pose as applied to this case would be as though the KKK made the complaint, decided to be the prosecutor, was the prosecutor, decided which witnesses to call, called those witnesses, and presented the case to the trier of fact. But your client had the the ability to present his case to the trier of fact, and... You're not claiming that the trial was unfair, are you? The trial was unfair because it was permeated by the bias of the people who controlled it. Counsel, you say that there were the Moses, Smith, and Stewart. They were three of 28 witnesses who testified at the the hearing. Much of that hearing, as I understand it, uh, involved charges that were brought by... A, I believe an ex- perhaps an executive chancellor, Mr. Kidder, who had no relationship to Smith and Stewart and Moses. So a good part of that hearing involved witnesses, not the three individuals that you've identified, dealing with charges that were unrelated in any way to those three individuals. So, so how can you make the claim that whatever bias those three individuals had so infected that process that the ultimate decision was made was tainted by them. Again, Your Honor, I want to reiterate that the issue for the court, and the issue for me, is whether Dr. Khoury should be allowed to try his claim, right? Not whether the hearing committee, based on the case before it, made the right decision. But in direct response uh, to your to your question or comment, Your Honor. Excuse me, counsel, but it seems to me the district court was saying on those facts, some of which I've identified, many more of which the district court identified, no reasonable jury could find that the termination decision was infected by the retaliatory animus of those three individuals. Isn't that what the district court found? The district court made that decision, and it did so in violation of this court's precedents particularly in Poland, and particularly in Lakeside Scott, and the Supreme Court's decision in Staub, which all of which 
hold that where there is a discriminatory process and the defendant is unable to prove and again stab says the burden is on the defendant to prove that the ultimate result was not infected by the discrimination of the people who brought the charges now you mentioned kidder and just to be particular in response to your question your honor the second complaint was brought by moses and kidder the first complaint was brought by moses and stewart they were not just two of the twenty eight witnesses moses testified not only of her own observations as a percipient witness but of her investigation of these matters going back not only to the first charges but also lacing her testimony and descriptions with matters completely outside the record to the effect that dr curry was a bad guy and had been involved in all sorts of unstated but impliedly awful behavior over the years so you know again i mean i think the case before you is a somewhat narrow one and is it poland or is it lakeside scott why isn't uh, the supreme court's decision in nassar which in, which indicates that in a title 7 retaliation case it's a but for standard that applies why isn't that the standard that we that should be applied here i don't reject the idea that under the supreme court uh, decisions and under the Ninth Circuit's decisions that it is a but-for standard that had Dr. Khoury been allowed to go to trial he would have had to prove to the jury that he would not have been terminated but for the retaliatory animus of Stuart Smith and, 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 and that, that gets back to my original question I understand this is not a discrimination claim but is there any evidence in this record, because we're on summary judgment, your burden to produce some, that people who that other professors, other people who do what he did, weren't fired. In other words, if it, it strikes me as a very, and I'm, I say this as a former regent, so I've got some background uh, in this. It's the kind of stuff for which people are fired all the time. It seems to me. So doesn't he have to demonstrate that somehow? The punishment, the punishment for his crimes was retaliation as opposed to simply that the prosecution of this offense was retaliation. But I can answer twice, twice to that question, once on the record and second based on my own experience. My own experience tells me that the University of California fires an infinitesimal number of tenured professors every year. 